The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Forums Podcast, presented by Phil Hinton. Welcome to the AV Forum's Home Cinema Podcast for September. In this, the first of two very special Home Cinema Podcasts, we have a roundup from IFA in Berlin, courtesy of Neil Davidson, and Neil also heads to JVC headquarters and gets hands-on with the brand-new HD100DILA projector, an AV Forum's exclusive. So, as promised, we have a roundup of IFA in Berlin, and joining us now from his hotel room is Neil Davidson. Hi, Neil. Hi, Phil. So, Neil, uh, we have a little bit of exclusive coming up a little bit later on in the podcast, but first of all, last weekend, you were out at IFA in Berlin. IFA is one of the biggest trade shows and consumer shows in Europe, so just give us a little bit of background about it. Yeah, as you say, Phil, the IFA show is uh, an absolutely enormous event for the consumer electronics industry. Um, both in terms of its importance and also in its sheer physical scale. Um, someone actually gave me a statistic that the, the Messi in Berlin, where IFA is held, is 22 times larger than Earl's Court. I can tell you it certainly felt like that after a day going round the halls. There must be lots of uh, new equipment coming along for the AV enthusiasts. So let's start with display devices now. But we know you haven't been able to get round and see absolutely everything but I know you're a, a display guru and you like to, to get out there and have a look at the new stuff so what's uh, what's interested you that you managed to get to see? Yeah there was lots of interesting display products uh, at the EVA trade show. I have to say there was also a lot of very disappointing display products so why don't we start with the worst and work up to the best. Um, I think the low point of EVA for me were the sheer number of halls where second-rate LCD panels were being displayed. Um, It's no exaggeration to say there were at least three or four full halls from various manufacturers um, showing LCDs that really were of the no better than second tier. Um, I think we'll be seeing these clogging up the supermarket shelves over the next few months. Um, But even a casual observer walking past could see that the performance from these particular displays really was not of the standard that anyone looking to spend money on a new main display should be looking for. Um, There were some interesting ideas, the odd PC tucked into the chassis here and there, Uh, but apart from that, these many, many LCD panels really were not of the standard that we should really be expecting to see come to the market uh, at the minute. Um, I'm sure that we'll see these at a much lower price point perhaps in some of the more established brands, Uh, but frankly, that's no surprise on looking at them. So getting the bad displays out of the way, uh, what's impressed you? Some of the things that that impressed me and also some of the things that surprised me. Uh, I was lucky enough to actually be in the IFA show from the Thursday evening before the show started. um, And we were able to use uh, the new Epson TW2000 projector. Um, This is a new projector from Epson which has just been ISF certified. um, And it sits above the current TW1000 in the range. Uh, It has a a really surprisingly good black level, but I think the the thing that struck all of us uh, who were looking at it was its exceptional colour accuracy. Um, In the past, Phil, we've actually reviewed the TW1000, and it's no uh, exaggeration to say that the 2000 moves on quite a lot from that model, um, and it should certainly be something that a lot of people will be looking at. 
um, who are prepared to put up with the, the, the manual lens shift and focus uh, on their projector. But a full 1080p model for, what, two and a half, three thousand pounds and really superb performance. Now, the one thing that impressed us about the TW1000 was the, the contrast ratio, which uh, was a, a real-life figure. How, how does the 2000 compare? Uh, there's no doubt that the 2000 uh, has a much better black level. We measured it actually at around 3000 to 1 in a very black room, um, so we were quite, quite pleased with that. I think we might be able to see slightly higher measurements with production models, uh, but 3000 to 1, anyone who's done a real... Uh, contrast measurement will tell you that that's a, an exceptional figure um, for a projector at that sort of price point. Um, and really, it sets the bar very high now for other projectors at, at that sort of price point. The good news for us, though, is that a lot of other projectors also were delivering um, around and about that sort of price point. The next model, I guess, that will be interesting uh, to the viewers or, or the, the listeners of the AV podcast uh, was the Samsung uh, projection models. Uh, there are actually a couple of new models coming from Samsung which are single chip DLP versions. Uh, we were actually lucky enough to catch a presentation by Joe Kane who will be probably familiar to most uh, forum visitors as the, the actual designer and producer of the Digital Video Essentials test DVD. Um, I know, Phil, that you've uh, grappled with that one as well. Uh, yeah, um, I hope you had a, a little conversation about the menu system and, <laughs> and the fact that he's only producing it in 720. Yes, two two annoying things. So the, the Samsung projector that Joe Kane has been working on is actually going to arrive uh, with a branding. It's going to say Joe Kane tuned on the projector to show that Joe has actually spent a bit of time tweaking it up. Um, and I have to say, again, I was very surprised at the sort of level that performance that was being offered by this projector. It's a single chip DLP model um, at 1080p. Uh, the price point is a bit higher than the Epson. It's probably going to be looking around three and a half, four thousand pounds I would have thought uh, as an RRP. But a lot of the typical problems that we used to associate with single chip DLP such as false contouring, um, banding uh, and also the, the dreaded rainbow effect all seem to have been addressed quite well. Um, it was using some newer technologies such as a seven-segment colour wheel to try and combat the, the rainbow problem. Um, and as you could expect as well, the, the real strength of a DLP model, Phil, is the very high ANSI contrast. And you could really see uh, that it was able to maintain those black levels throughout. Uh, the, the demo scene that Samsung were using was quite a well-known scene from the Phantom of the Opera HD DVD. Uh, and I've seen that scene quite a few times now, and it really does feel as though there is a, a real-life performer on the stage in front of you when you see it done properly. And fair credit to Joe, it looked as though he'd done quite a good job on this projector. So another one, certainly, that, that uh, listeners to the podcast should look out for. Now, that's one thing with, with quality DLP, Neil, there's always been that it's it's always been at the higher end of the market, uh, with prices from about six grand upwards. Um, so will this new Samsung um, really give that type of high-end performance for the money? The performance of the Samsung really impressed me. Um, it's not one of the really, really high-end products. You have to understand with DLP uh, that the optical paths and so on are all quite complicated. Um, and really the price that people pay for a projector is often reflected in the optics uh, and the sheer light output from the projector. 
So the, the Samsung certainly isn't something that you'd want to use on a very large screen. I, I really wouldn't go over 100 inches, say, uh, with the Samsung projector. But within that scope, which to be honest will fit in most uh, UK, just say a garage size cinema, um, it's a very compelling option um, because it does have that high contrast, that high ANSI contrast ratio um, that you enjoy with a DLP. And of course, a single chip DLP is actually razor sharp because uh, there are no problems with convergence or anything like that, um, which you sometimes find on the three chip models. Now, with it having the, the Joe Kane tuned marker there, what exactly does that mean, Neil? Well, what it means, um, Joe, Joe Kane's actually been doing quite a lot of work with Samsung. Um, regular listeners will know that Samsung models in Germany, for example, even of the, the, the flat panels, have a lot more calibration controls now, um, and the dealers over there have been receiving calibration training. So Joe Kane really has been involved in doing uh, that kind of stuff with Samsung promoting the ideas of calibration and design for calibration uh, within the displays. So hopefully that's had a, a knock-on effect that the displays themselves are a bit more accurate. Uh, but also the ability to tune in the displays to be more accurate uh, is very important. And, and that's really where Joe Kane um, has been putting his influence with Samsung. So Neil, moving on from DLP, what did a high-end LCD have to offer? Um, yeah, it was very interesting to see some of the, the main LCD players. The main ones that people, I guess, would think of uh, are the likes of uh, Philips, uh, Sony, uh, Samsung and LG. Um, on all of these stands, there was a, a fairly common theme, uh, which was the use of the new 100Hz drive technologies uh, that we're seeing with LCDs, designed to try and really boost up the resolution of moving images. Um, and I can tell you that every single one of the booths, uh, there was a, an almost identical demo going of sideways scrolling material uh, with one half of the screen showing 100 hertz and the other half showing normal. Uh, there's no doubt that this uh, technology does have a benefit. Um, as people will actually find, though, when they see some reviews that we have coming up on the forums, there are also quite some drawbacks to 100 hertz drive technologies. Um, especially if they're using a thing called frame interpolation. Um, this can cause some, some artefacts, uh, and once you've spotted these artefacts, I can tell you they're very annoying, um, and it's not so difficult for the, the display to actually see it. However, I really do believe that 100Hz is the way forward for LCD, um, and certainly the models that were on display at IFA showed some real promise there. In particular, the, the, the Korean models, it was interesting, as I mentioned, uh, we, I was actually able to get access into a lot of the halls on the Thursday evening before the main show proper started uh, and watch these guys doing all of their setups. Um, and the taste of the, the Korean engineers really is to, to perhaps boost the colour a lot higher than, than we in the UK perhaps would be used to. Um, and it was quite amusing to see large uh, groups of the, the Korean engineers all basically saying higher, higher for the colour. Um, and to be honest, you could really, really see that as you were walking around the show. Um, they, they certainly had been set up for visual impact, let's say, rather than uh, the actual accuracy of the picture. So really, it wasn't possible to do a, a detailed assessment of how good these new LCDs are going to be, but certainly some interesting movements. On the flip side with LCD, though, one of the things that was uh, perhaps a little surprising maybe a little bit disappointing, uh, was the Philips booth. 
Um, in the Philips booth, they were showing off their new Orea technology, uh, which is the replacement for the Ambilight. Now, I have to say, I've never personally been a great fan of the Ambilight technologies, um, but the Orea claims to make some improvements. So the uh, the entire <laughs> Philips area, as you can imagine, was flashing along to the content that was being shown on the displays. Now, it just so happened that when I arrived, they were all flicking through a PowerPoint presentation that had a smooth gradient pattern, and unfortunately the gradient pattern false contoured, and the false contour carried basically up the whole length of the hall, emphasised with the wonderful Aurea lights on the walls. So that was my, uh, my comedy moment, I think, of Aoife, watching this huge line of false contoured LCDs in the, the Philips booth. Now, Neil, one thing with the Ambulite technology and obviously moving on to this new technology is the fact that any colour that you have behind your display device is going to affect what's on the screen. So um, what's the what was Philip's explanation as to why you should have Ambulite there? Because uh, from a technical point of view, from yourself and myself, it, it seems to be the wrong thing to do. Well, I mean, the, I've never understood the Ambulite technology. There wasn't time really to uh, have a good discussion with the Philips engineers behind it. Um, I, I believe that they feel that it makes the, the picture experience more immersive. Um, but really, f for anyone who's used to watching uh, a well-calibrated picture, the Ambilight technology is just such a distraction. Um, it, it's, it's really not what I would uh, what I would look for in my particular display. Um, and I have to say the performance of the actual panels themselves left a bit to be desired. So uh, come on, Philips, time to buck up your ideas and catch up with your Korean rivals, I think. Neil, that covers the LCD side of things. So how did Plasma fare? Um, I was actually a little bit disappointed to see um, such a, a small amount of Plasma displays on show, Phil. Obviously, Pioneer were there. Uh, unfortunately, there wasn't time to visit the Pioneer booth, but of course, Pioneer are all Plasma. Um, in terms of the, the more mainstream brands, uh, really, it's left to Samsung and LG to fly the flag for Plasma, um, and certainly their Plasma displays looked looked okay, and for for me, they clearly looked better than the LCD models that they were up against. However, again, it was very difficult to determine just how good these new models would actually be um, once they've been installed and perhaps had a couple of the settings uh, turned down a bit to less eyeball searing levels. Um, I just thought it was very interesting to note uh, the, the lack of plasma displays compared to LCD. Um, there was probably at least 10, probably 20 different LCDs for every plasma display that was on show. So perhaps another sign of the market really moving towards LCD as the, as the prime product, which I think is a shame because plasma still really offers a lot in terms of picture quality. So do you think Plasma is going to go along the lines of uh, being the higher-end choice for people who want accuracy and, and uh, a more realistic picture compared to LCD, which is obviously it, it's been mass market for a number of years now, and it looks like that's going to continue to be the, the case? Yeah, really at the minute there's still no doubt um, that a well-set-up Plasma display um, offers a better picture than an LCD. Um, I know that some people on the forums perhaps will disagree with my viewpoint, but I, I can really demonstrate that to anybody that a well set up plasma is a better picture than, than any LCD that's out there at the minute. Um, I don't say that that's always going to be the case, um, but what it would seem to be is that 
the main manufacturers can offer LCD at a more attractive price point um, for the larger screen sizes now. Um, and so, well, the, the incentive that they once had perhaps to offer plasma is being reduced. And I think that we will see, simply due to the fact that, you know, production volumes and everything have such a huge impact on pricing, that plasma will necessarily become a more high-end product. Certainly that's uh, how else uh, LG were presenting the, 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 the plasma models on their stand. Um, they, they were really they were being used as a high-end showcase um, rather than the LCDs, which were the core product for sure. Okay, well, that rounds up our uh, look at the display devices at AFA, and we'll come back in a second and discuss the sound side of things. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. Moving on from displays, we'll cover the sound side of things. So, Neil... The big buzzwords at the minute are Dolby Digital True HD and DTS Master Audio. With HD, DVD and Blu-ray, there will be an option to uh, take the sound via Bitstream into these new amplifiers. So I take it there was loads of these new um, high-definition enabled AV amplifiers out there? Yeah, I'm sure that there was a lot of stuff out there, Phil, but the one um, that I was able to see and actually verify with my own eyes and ears working was the forum favourite at the minute, the Onkyo 875. The Onkyo was actually set up on the Blu-ray Disc Association stand, uh, connected to a Pioneer Blu-ray player, uh, and it was actually doing Dolby True HD uh, over the HDMI connection. I even took a photograph, I was so impressed. It even says True HD on the LCD on the front. So with these things moving on, I take it we're now entering a new age when it comes to DVD sound, high definition sound and so on. Was it being pushed as much as you thought it would be? Yeah, the, the high definition sound thing was being pushed. Um, it was interesting uh, that uh, Dolby and DTS themselves uh, didn't have a huge presence on the actual show floor. They were leaving that up to the manufacturers. However, uh, there were separate DTS and Dolby demos. Again, unfortunately, there just wasn't time to go to those as they were off-site. However, I've now spoken to a few people who did attend, um, and apparently those demos were very, very, very impressive. Uh, and those people who have heard them, and I know myself from my experience now, uh, that the, the HD audio formats, they do have a lot to offer. Um, when you compare it with the compressed sound of Dolby Digital and DTS that we've been used to, the increase in dynamic range and so on really is it's quite fantastic. It's it's like going from MP3 back to CD. Um, quite happily in the, the world of, of movies, we seem to be going in the opposite direction to music at the minute. The quality is getting better rather than worse. Um, and I really encourage anybody now to, to start you know really considering how they're going to get these HD formats uh, in their home and make the most of the sound quality from them. And I understand another interesting thing on the show floor was from Harman, so what was that? Yeah, there was uh, one interesting product from Harman that really caught my eye. Um, For people who haven't caught any EFA coverage, Harman had one of the largest uh, stands at the show. Um, The Harman Carden Company is a a fantastically wealthy company now after having recently been bought. Uh, So they, they, they really splashed out on sewing some nice kit. But what really caught my eye, and I think something that, again, will be of real interest uh, to AV Forum's visitors, 
is they were showing a, a new technology with the, the Digital Living Network Alliance, I hope I've uh, got those acronyms correct, um, which is a new standard um, basically designed to try and guarantee interoperability between different digital devices. Now, what the guys at Harman were showing was a Harman AV receiver, um, which was hooked up in a demo system with some in-ceiling speakers uh, and some in-wall controllers. So this all worked via uh, an IP connection. So they just had some Cat5 cable connecting the receiver um, and they were simulating several different zones around a typical house. Um, and I have to say, I was very, very, very impressed at how easy it was um, to configure and also to use these systems. So uh, hopefully that's going to offer people a very accessible way to get into the, you know, the, the, the multi-room um, setup in the future without having to worry perhaps at the minute about you know, very expensive recabling and so on. Um, I, I think that this is something that has real possibilities. The user interfaces were absolutely fantastic um, and, and so on. So that was just a little product that maybe a little glimpse into the future, but something that really caught my eye as being interesting. DLNA. People should look out for that. Okay, well, that covers the sound side of things. Unfortunately, we didn't get a, a great deal of uh, opportunity to go around absolutely everything. Like we said, IFA is huge. But we will move on to the big burning issue of the day, which was the HD battle between Blu-ray and HD DVD. And we'll be back with that in a second. The highest definition. 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 This is the AV Forums podcast. So we'll move on to the hot potato of the day, which is HD DVD versus Blu-ray. There's been lots going on in this format war. And uh, Neil, I understand you were invited along to a couple of special seminars in relation to the next high-definition disc format. So can you just explain what was going on in the show floor? Yes, it was very, very interesting to walk around the show and see who was working with which format. Um, For me, the the real, perhaps a surprise, perhaps I was a little bit naive about what was happening, um, but the number of manufacturers who were actually supporting Blu-ray disc uh, took me really by surprise. Um, there were, I think I counted nine or ten separate manufacturers showing uh, real live Blu-ray demos um, on branded equipment. Um, so Sharp, Samsung, Pioneer, Sony of course, um, and a few others were all showing uh, Blu-ray material. Um, even the new Denon Blu-ray players were there, actually, which people will be interested to, 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 to check out, I'm sure. Whereas in the HD DVD camp, we, of course, had Toshiba. But then, really, it was very difficult to find anything else apart from that um, around the show floor. Uh, and I think, as we all know, um, any format needs backing of hardware to make it a success. Um, so I think that really took me a bit by surprise, the, sh- the sheer number of manufacturers actively supporting Blu-ray. Of course, from a, an HD DVD point of view, um, there will be some arguments that say, well, HD DVD are aiming for um, the low price point when it comes to uh, hardware. And I understand Ventura are going to release a budget-priced HD player as well. Yeah, I understand that, and I still think that that's very interesting. I think the Louvre also had an HD DVD player there. So apart from that, I really didn't see anyone else who was showing HD DVD. It's a shame the format itself has a lot of strengths. And really that's what surprised me so much, that 
such a good format um, was not really featuring more support from hardware manufacturers. Um, the other interesting thing, perhaps, uh, that, that listeners will be interested in is the combi players. Uh, we've had a lot of talk now about the combi players from LG and from Samsung, but I have to say on their showing at IFA, people will want to keep their money in their pocket for the time being. Uh, the combi players certainly were not even remotely in the same league of picture quality uh, as the standalone players. So my advice certainly at the minute would not be to go for one of those combi players. Um, go for a standalone, um, if at all possible. Now, that's very interesting because, um, as everybody will be aware, in the software side of things, uh, there seems to be some real movement at the moment with uh, Paramount and DreamWorks moving over to HD DVD. How did that go down with the hardware manufacturers? Did you get a chance to ask them what their thoughts were with the, the studios moving sides like that? Well, there was some discussions. Um, People may have seen that we had a a chance to talk to a number of Sony executives, for example. And I think that there was some surprise about that particular move. Um, It's certainly a big win for the HD-DVD camp. I think if they'd been able to perhaps announce that just a little bit before IFA um, than they were able to, it could have had a bigger impact. Um, it, It still didn't change, for example, the balance of hardware that was showing. People should realise that the hardware manufacturers um, typically have quite a lot up their sleeves and if there had been a real push towards HD, I'm sure it wouldn't have been impossible for some more of them to show some HD players, um, sorry, HD DVD players. Um, But really that hadn't happened. So even though there's been an interesting shift in the content, it looks as though in the hardware battle, still Blu-rays a bit ahead of the game. And yes, that, that did surprise me. Now, I understand you had a chance to have a chat with some of the Sony execs at the Blu-ray party a little bit later on during the uh, IFA uh, conference. So, what did they have to say? I understand Don Eklund from Sony was there. Did you get a chance to speak to Don? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was quite an interesting event. We were able to speak to quite a number of the different Sony executives who were there. Um, now, uh, the message from them, I think, was, was quite interesting. Uh, people will know, for example that one of my uh, key interests and key thoughts, perhaps, on the HD battle is that uh, the internet overall (laughs) will win out, um, regardless of of these two formats for just now. Um, It was interesting to note that that Sony, uh, one of their executives, um, agreed with me that long-term, the internet certainly is a challenge uh, to the, the, the distribution model of discs, However, it was his belief that that's really at least 10 years away from happening. I happen to think it'll happen a little bit sooner than that, but certainly it's not an overnight sensation. But I think it was refreshing to me to realise that the manufacturers are, you know, they're they're not taking this for granted. They want to make sure that they have compelling formats now um, rather than waiting for, you know, two or three years into the future. Uh, when really the internet will become a much larger threat. I think they want to be established before then. One of the other really interesting discussions uh, that I had, and I actually had this discussion with a number of different people, um, was a more technical aspect. Um, Regular forum fans will know that uh, a couple of new things are being touted on HD players. Um, In particular, uh, wide colour gamuts or extended colour gamuts um, are being touted. Uh, Also, the deep colour thing is something that's being touted uh, as a nice feature to have. 
Um, and all of that, of course, tied in with HDMI 1.3. Well, it was interesting uh, to, to talk about these things. Um, people who are not perhaps so well-versed with how DVDs are constructed and so on um, may be surprised to find that already the HD formats um, struggle to cope with the amount of stuff that we're trying to squeeze onto them. Um, and we were able to have an interesting discussion about the possibilities to fit deep colour and the benefits of using deep colour um, on the, the HD formats. And I think we all agreed that, well, it's nice marketing, but in terms of actual performance for people, that's not such a huge thing to worry about at the minute. Um, also, the HDMI 1.3 thing, again, it's not something that people should be so worried about at this second in time. The one area I think where perhaps there was a little bit of disagreement um, was over the use of wide colour gamuts. So just to give people an idea of what a wide colour gamut is, um, any display has a set of RGB, red, green and blue colour primaries. Now there are specific standards set out which dictate what those colours should be. So any display or any display product, video product, that has colours out with those standards is known as having a wide colour gamut. And people will have heard of a thing perhaps called XVYCC, but it's a, a move to try and extend the number of colours which can be seen on screen. What we discussed was whether we will see any main movies being released actually encoded in XVYCC. And I think that the consensus at the minute is we won't see any uh, mainstream movies, but as for example HD camcorders and so on become available uh, with the XVYCC colour space, um, the, the Sony guys felt that there would be quite strong consumer demand um, for these wide colour gamuts and I think if they're right there that will have interesting implications um, for, for the rest of the, the, the market. Um, the, the movie companies in particular will need to start looking seriously at the implication of these wider gamuts that we can get on the technology now. Now, Neil, it's all interesting stuff from a technical point of view and obviously from a sales point of view, but the real thing I think that a lot of enthusiasts, especially on Navy forums, feel is that this Christmas, uh, this quarter four that's coming up, is going to determine um, a great deal of how this format war moves forward. And I think it's interesting as well. I've read some of the coverage from IFA and there wasn't any big announcements from the Blu-ray camp. They had this lovely party that which they invited everybody along to. They made everybody available to people to question, but there was no real big announcement, was there? Yes, that's really one of the things that I noticed. It was fantastic uh, to have access to these guys um, and really be able to, to understand a bit more about what they saw with the formats and so on. Um, but there was nothing new. There was really none of the players had particularly new features, for example. Um, we've heard a lot of stuff about the various profile options and things, um, but there was no one actually demonstrating the, the advantages uh, of, of the new profiles and you know the in-depth interactive features and so on. Uh, there was one of the new Denon players there, um, which is touted to have the new 1.1 profile, uh, but it was a, a static demo, unfortunately. We couldn't, we couldn't see anything. Um, to, to see if this is really going to be a new uh, and and real benefit, uh, or whether, well, it's arguable, but just another DVD extra, take it or leave it for a lot of people. Um, apart from that, though, it was a, a real case of me too on the players 
Um, I have to be frank, a lot of the players uh, had almost identical feature sets um, and still a little bit lacking in some areas. In particular, we really, really need to get that full support for all of the HD formats uh, over HDMI. Um, I think that that's one thing that is causing a lot of consumer confusion and it will be fantastic uh, to see that confusion taken away by having basically full support uh, over HDMI of all the HD audio formats. Now, Neil, I'm going to put you on the spot here. It's the biggest show in Europe. You've been there. You've seen everything that was going on. Um, you've managed to speak to the people behind the scenes. When it comes to the HD, DVD, Blu-ray format war, did it move anything along? Did the, did a winner become um, known to you? Or do you think we're just going to go along the same lines for the next year or so? Um, I, I don't think a winner was clearly discussed. However, I think that there were two clear uh, outcomes. The first outcome was that in terms of hardware, there's no doubt that Blu-ray has a stronger support. Um, as I've already said, I found that personally surprising. But there was really no doubt that Blu-ray was stronger in terms of the hardware support. The second thing was, though, uh, we, that we've also discussed HD DVD having such strong software support. Um, and so there's there's a slight disconnect there between the software support and the hardware support. Um, I think it's going to come down over the next six months to which of the studios blinks hardest and really makes a decision about who it's going to support and it's going to decide really the format war once and for all. Okay, so that rounds up our IFA coverage uh, for this year. Thanks very much for that, Neil. And up after this short break... Uh, we will be discussing a bit of an exclusive. For up-to-the-minute AV discussion and hardware reviews, visit avforums.com. So with the EFA coverage out of the way, it's time for an AV podcast exclusive. Uh, Neil has been down in London today at JVC headquarters. Neil, why did you go? Yes, today we had a very, very uh, special day with JVC where they allowed me to get hands-on with the new HD 100 projector which I am sure will be a hot topic of conversation in the projector forums over the next few months. So for those people who don't know what the HD 100 is um, maybe you can explain a little about the model. Okay the HD 100 is uh, a revised and upgraded version of the existing HD 1 um, both of these products are full 1080p uh, projectors using JVC's DILA technology. Um, they both have exceptional black levels um, that really has set them apart from, from some of the other models because they can achieve very, very dark black colours without using any form of iris um, and that really has set them apart so far. Now, the HD1 is our reference projector at the moment it scored reference quality when we had the opportunity to review it earlier in the year. So did you get hands-on with the HD100 and how does it compare? Yes, I was able to take uh, almost two hours of time this afternoon to have some demos, um, go through the setup, have a look at some of the new features and so on, and really get a feel for how this new projector works. Um, the good news for fans of the HD1 is that the HD100 does pretty much all of the same things that the HD1 did so well, uh, but really expands on them um, and makes them better. 
Uh, if possible, the black level has been improved even more, um, which is quite noticeable when flicking between the two projectors. Uh, the calibration features uh, have been improved slightly on the HD100 over the HD1. Um, there is some new options now, uh, which I'm sure will be very interesting for people on the forums, to use the HD100 uh, with anamorphic lens systems. I think that's going to be a hot topic over the next few months as well. And then the final real benefit for, for uh, those of us who have to install these projectors is that the HD100 actually now has motorised zoom and focus controls so they can be controlled from your armchair uh, or more likely from it right next to the projection screen when you're setting up the focus um, and you don't need now need to have a mate with you or need to climb up your ladder or worry about those slightly awkward controls around the lens. Just explain to everybody how you've managed to see this today. I take it it was set up side by side with the HD1 so you could get a comparison between the two. Yep, what the guys had, had done was actually uh, something very, very nice for us. Um, the HD1 and the HD100 actually have a button on the remote control which says hide. Um, effectively shuts off the, the output from the projector. Um, quite conveniently though, both projectors uh, responded to the command at the same time. So one of them was simply set to hide and the other one was uh, set to show. So whenever you press the hide button, it would immediately flick between the two with no HDMI handshaking problems or anything like that. The output from our uh, Blu-ray player and our DVD player was going through an HDMI splitter. So there was an identical feed going to both projectors. So it was actually possible to do an almost immediate comparison backwards and forwards between the two to really get a feel for some of the improvements that they've made in the HD100. Now the HD1 did have a couple of niggles for us, even though we marked it as reference quality. Um, one of those was when using lower resolutions, uh, there was quite a bit of cropping going on. Have they managed to sort that problem out? Yes, I'm pleased to say that uh, when we put standard definition material through it, there is now an option in the uh, in the setup menus where you can actually switch off overscan, and there was absolutely no pixel cropping when overscan was enabled. So that was I was delighted to see that. It really does make a huge difference. Um, there were still some slight issues when overscan was enabled. It wasn't being applied evenly. Uh, at the left and right hand side compared to the top and bottom but this was a, a fairly early production sample so um, I think it's a bit too early to judge if that's how it's going to come out of the box but the ability to switch off overscan on standard definition sources is confirmed. Excellent and uh, let's move on to calibration this is a, a, a big point for, for us and when we come to review the products and so on with the HD1, we were able to calibrate it um, as best as possible for, obviously, grayscale tracking and so on. It was very accurate. Um, what about the HD100? Does it give us um, colour controls and so on now? The HD100 builds a little bit. Now, th this perhaps is one area where we need to, I think, do a bit of uh, control of expectations. I think that there's been some rumours uh, that the HD100 will have more advanced calibration features than it actually does. Um, it isn't a massive uh, leap in terms of calibration features over the HD1. Uh, the grayscale options and so on are all still identical to the HD1. What has been added though is a parametric gamma control. Um, basically what that control allows you to do 
is going, and, and there are actually 12 points along the gamma curve um, that people can select and adjust the luminance level. And you can actually do that for white, red, green, and blue separately. So you can actually very, very, very accurately tweak in the grayscale across the entire level and also get perfect gamma curves uh, set up to your preference. There are quite some profiles as well for storing those gamma curves. Um, this is a nice move forward from JVC. There's actually a computer software going to be available as well to help you tweak those gamma curves um, and back them up. What we don't have, unfortunately, and this is the other big bugbear that we had with the HD1, is any form of color management system. It's important that people understand that there is no way on this projector to adjust the color primaries and the color primaries are actually being touted as being an even wider color space than the HD1. Now, certainly in the demonstration material that I went through today, the red primary in particular was extremely noticeable. Now, it's important to get that in context for people. Uh, this isn't the same as, say, a red push, where you know skin tones and things have an unnatural red color. Uh, the actual decoding of the colors in the display looked very, very accurate. Um, so we had no problems with red push and so on. Where you do get a problem is where it comes to areas of very saturated colors. So the, the example, as you know, Phil, that I always like to use is Gladiator. Um, and in Chapter 15 in Gladiator, the Battle of Carthage, uh, the, the, the chariot fighters who come in have red plumes on their helmets. And those red plumes really popped off the screen, I can tell you. They were very, very bright, perhaps even a little brighter than on the HD1. Um, and I found that that was a bit distracting. We also watched some scenes from Mission Impossible. Uh, and again, the, the, the redness of that primary really popped off the screen. And I have to say, I found that a little bit distracting. Um, and there's still no way to, to counteract that on these new models. What else is new with uh, the HD100, which you think is going to be a big selling point? The other thing I think that was very interesting is that there is now support for uh, anamorphic lens options. Um, when viewing HD material, you can do a vertical stretch. So the, the projector now supports uh, constant height anamorphic systems right out of the box. Um, of course, people will need to use an external lens to do that, but they wouldn't necessarily need to use an external scaler. There are still some arguments for an external scaler, but it's very good to know that the projector actually would support uh, an external anamorphic lens right out of the box. Uh, the other good thing uh, was when we were watching standard definition material, you were also able to flick between aspect ratios. So you could go between 4.3, 16 by 9, and the vertical stretch mode for anamorphic. Um, I think that these are very, very strong points, and it now gives people a real option to do a nice and fairly easy-to-use anamorphic system for their home. And I guess anamorphic is going to be the future, Neil, um, as we all strive to have a cinema at home. That's what the whole home cinema hobby is about. Um, for those of us lucky to have a dedicated room, um, it really does mean that we can add two, three, five screens in there now. Yeah, I mean... I know a lot of people still haven't seen anamorphic systems, but day-to-day -day I'm lucky enough that I see a lot of them. And really, once you've seen an anamorphic system working with the masks and so on, everything draws back, you 
you really can't go back to watching a movie with the black bars on a 16 by 9 screen. It really is, it gives you back the feeling of going to the cinema. You have a real experience when the movie comes on. Um, it fills up the whole screen. It just looks absolutely fantastic. Um, and I think it's a good move from JVC to allow their customers to do this uh, quite easily um, using simply the processing that's built into the projector. Okay, Neil, well, just let's have your final thoughts. What did you think of the HD100? Final thoughts on the projector were that it was absolutely superb. Um, the picture was very natural looking. Um, it has a very film-like image, which was characteristic on the HD one as well. The, the, the DILA has a certain smoothness. Um, people really need to do a demo, I think, to see that, but it's not a softness of focus or anything. It just looks very, very film-like is the way that we always describe it. Um, the colours on the projector uh, looked fairly natural until you got out to more saturated areas, uh, where perhaps they looked a bit overblown. Um, but I don't want to labour that point too much. Uh, overall, the projector really, really presents a fantastic image um, and one I think that any of us would be happy to have in our home theatre. I guess we need to thank the guys at JVC. Yes, thanks to the guys at JVC for having that. However, listeners and visitors to the forum uh, should look out for a lot more news on the HD100 as the development progresses. Um, there are going to be some very exciting things happening on the forum. Um, so, so keep an eye on that projector forum there for all the latest news. Well, Neil, thanks very much for uh, your EFA roundup and, of course, going down there on our behalf and having a look at the new JVC projector. And stay tuned because we have more coming up for you this weekend as uh, both Neil and I head off down to the London Sound and Vision show at Heathrow. Looking forward to that, Neil? Yes, looking forward to that. See what new things are being shown there. Um, I think we're going to be lucky enough, Phil, to see the new 1080p Pioneer models. So uh, hopefully we'll have a, a nice show report for the listeners. OK, so stay tuned. That should be on the way Saturday or Sunday this week. So stay tuned to the AV Podcast. My thanks again to Neil for his roundup this week. And that's all we've got time for on the AV Podcast Home Cinema Edition. If you have any comments, queries or questions, then send us an email to help at avpodcast.co.uk. And this is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening and we'll see you again at the weekend. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.